Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. This week, we have Chelsea Brooke on the show. Chelsea specializes in helping introverted women discover their true and authentic path to a successful and meaningful life. Her mission is to inspire introverted women to live connected to their true purpose and to share the most real version of themselves with the world. Originally, I thought this would be the perfect time for this episode, thinking of all of the state-level conferences that were scheduled and the fact that the annual national conference is coming in early summer. But as we all know, most of those conferences have been canceled. Maybe in some states, they move them over to a digital format. But I know here in my state, we did not. We are just so slammed with all of the new challenges related to feeding our students that have transitioned to e-learning. But a lot of the stuff that Chelsea covers here is still going to be useful now. And of course, in the future, when things hopefully get back to where they were before. I also interviewed Chelsea on Facebook Live this week, specifically talking about letting your gifts as an introvert really shine while you work remotely. Of course, that doesn't apply to a ton of people in school nutrition because we are still feeding our kids. But at some point, more of us might end up working remotely than we're thinking. So a lot of things just remain to be seen. But this is a really good conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus time to handle business breakfast. You don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So I wanted to have you on because in School Nutrition, there are a lot of networking events. And because we have so much diversity as far as personality types and age groups and genders that attend these conferences, I think that some people are facing some challenges when it comes to really getting themselves out there, connecting with the people they'd like to connect to because they're not as extroverted as the majority of people. And Mm -hmm. the events tend to favor extroverts. And it's certainly not just these events. It seems like the world favors extroverts. (laughs) So (laughs) I wanted to have an expert on. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, I would love to. So Growing up, I experienced many of the challenges common to introverts. I often felt awkward and out of place during social situations. I didn't understand the anxiety that came from making small talk or being in large groups. And I often received advice about how I should just get out of my shell or speak up or stop thinking so much. Uh, In fact, I remember a particular instance when I was a teenager. And you know how important it is when you're a teen to navigate complex social relationships 
And add on top of that being an introvert and not knowing it and being surrounded by extroverts, it really made it even more challenging. But there was a particular day I was hanging out with a group of friends and it was toward the end of the day. And and I thought I had done really well. I thought I was successfully faking being an extrovert and being engaging. But then one of my friends turns to me and says, Chelsea, are you okay? You've been so quiet. I've barely noticed you were here. Ouch. And my first reaction, yeah, is like anger. <laughs> like, really? I have been laughing and smiling and nodding and making eye contact all day because that's how introverts participate, right? right. Like through observation and nonverbal communication. Apparently she wasn't getting that. But my second reaction was just shame. And, and of course, I'm thinking all this in my head. Why can't you just be more talkative? Why do you have to be so awkward? Why can't you be normal like everybody else? And apparently it had been a little too long because my friend was starting to look concerned and other people were noticing as well. So I just quickly said, oh, oh yeah, goodness. I just haven't been feeling well today. And so I made excuses for my introverted nature because A, I didn't know I was an introvert and B, I was clearly, clearly getting the signals that how I was was not okay. And so I've had so many experiences like that throughout my wow. life. That just sounds extremely stressful for a teenager to go through. You're trying to mimic what you think is normal extroverted behavior, Mm -hmm. and it's totally not coming across. I think a lot of introverts relate to that because they have so many experiences where we're misunderstood. I, I was lucky enough that I found out, I guess fairly early, also during my teenage years, that I wasn't any of those things, but I was just an introvert. So Uh, Being one of those typical overachiever kind of people as well, I started college at 16 and majored in psychology and sociology, which is where I really got to dive deep into the introvert temperament and personality and started learning the best ways to work with my personality instead of against it. And then I went on to graduate with a 4.0 in my graduate studies and earned a master's degree in counseling. So at that point, I, I really started working as a professional counselor and further strengthen my knowledge and skill set and personal development, positive psychology. And then I also started working with introverted women to help them uncover their true path and passion and develop their self-belief and taught them the unique mindset strategies that they would need to embrace who they are and to create a career that they love. And introverted women, we're such a unique group because we are so often misunderstood and mislabeled and misguided on who we are, who we're supposed to be, that when we go to pick a career, we're really not basing it on a deep understanding of who we are, our strengths, but on this extroverted ideal that we've been told to live up to our whole lives. Mm. And the other piece of this is I really wanted to empower women, particularly introverted women, that no matter what's going on in their personal lives, relationships, that they can create a life and career based on their passion and create a secure future for themselves. So for me personally, my dad left when I was 16. I've been married and divorced. So I know what it's like to not know what your life is going to look like and to start making decisions out of that fear and survival instead of out of your passion and confidence. And I found that that's true for many of my clients as well. So personally, professionally, I've had so many reasons that I'm so passionate about this group. And I'm so thankful to be able to support and empower them in these kind of ways. You really have a unique personal experience that you're adding Mm -hmm. to all of your years of study that gives you an edge when it comes to understanding what other introverts are going through. Can you explain Mm -hmm. what the real difference is between extroverts and introverts? Because there's more discussion about it these days, but sometimes I think it, it still isn't clear. Absolutely. So One of the first things I find interesting is that the dictionary actually defines an introvert as a shy, withdrawn person, which really, sadly, 
shows the bias in our culture against introverts because one of the first things I make clear is the difference between introversion and shyness. So introversion is a temperament and personality type, while shyness is a social anxiety. So while some introverts may be shy, extroverts can actually be shy as well. And one of the biggest differences between introverts and extroverts is how we process and respond to information. So let's say you're having a conversation with an extrovert. There's not going to be a lot of lag time between what they're thinking and what they're saying. They're going to typically say the first thing that comes to their mind, and that's just how their brain works. An introvert, on the other hand, actually uses a different, longer, more complex pathway in the brain. So as you're talking to an introvert, they are processing what you're saying and considering ways to respond, maybe what words they might want to use to convey their response. Other times they've been asked this question or how it makes them feel. And at this point, it's been far too long and people begin to wonder if you're okay or they've moved on altogether, <laughs> which of course can add to the misunderstandings about introverts. And another big difference is how we gain our energy. So extroverts gain their energy from being around other people and being in busy environments while introverts gain their energy from being in silence and quieter environments. And just a quick brain-based explanation for some differences between introverts and extroverts has to do with neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are simply chemical messengers in the brain that are responsible for creating our feelings, moods, behaviors, basically keep us functioning as normal individuals. And introverts are more sensitive to the neurotransmitters, dopamine and adrenaline, which means we need less stimulation and less going on in our environment to get that same feel-good feeling. So we're more easily overwhelmed by noisy environments and prefer quieter environments most of the time. And this is also why introverts may feel really good, like in a library or a coffee shop, where it's basically quiet with coffee in the air. And extroverts may eventually find this kind of environment boring or understimulating because their brains need more going on to get that same feel-good feeling. And it's also why introverts can appear to zone out or have difficulty thinking, finding the right word, or just keeping the conversation going in busier environments. So it means a lot of times we may look bored or aloof or uninterested when in reality we're just overwhelmed and trying to process all the information going on around us. That is a lot. That's definitely <laughs> my understanding as yeah. well. I love cat cafes because they take mm-hmm. quietness to an, another level because you don't want to startle the fur babies. So that's oh, that would be awesome. Places to go. It's so calm yeah. in there. It's great. But like you mentioned, people tend to think introverts are just shy or maybe they're withdrawn and they don't like people. What Mm -hmm. is the truth of that when it comes to what are some combination types or is there any such thing Mm -hmm. as a combination? Because I know lots of introverts that are known to be very loving and engaging in small groups and then other introverts that really just want to be alone almost all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point as well. And there is actually a term for a person who's right in the middle, and they're called an ambivert. So that's a person who is right in the middle of being an introvert and extrovert. But kind of like you pointed out, um, introversion and extroversion is really on a continuum or scale. So just because two people are introverts doesn't mean they're going to be exactly the same, because there are different levels or intensities to being an introvert. And where you fall on that scale will determine, you know, like you're saying, how much you're drained by being around others or just where your sweet spot is between having alone time and social time. So it's really just important to pay attention to how you feel in different situations and when you feel most balanced, and then that will help you figure out what works for you. 
That makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned that you cater to supporting introverted women in particular. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference that you've noticed with how uh, your gender expression affects your introversion and how that shows up in your mm-hmm. life? I think the, the biggest difference that I find is just what's culturally acceptable. Like for you know women, we're supposed to be very social, gregarious, you know, excited, talkative. Like that's, I guess, like the typical woman is more seen as extroverted. And so I think for men, they are more, it's more acceptable to just be kind of the quiet type or the strong, silent type, but women don't have that. So that's what I see a lot and why I'm so passionate about introverted women, because we kind of have this double bias going on. First of all, what women should be like, and then also that we're supposed to be like an extrovert. So an introverted woman really has a lot to overcome in that way. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, but that's funny I never really considered that that was one of those expectations of being female because it's often a complaint or criticism that women talk too Mm -hmm. much or they're too social or so you would think that if women are condemned for it, there wouldn't really be an expectation for it. Gender bias gets you coming and going. So it's a problem Mm -hmm. when you talk too much and then everyone's going to ask what's wrong with you if you aren't Mm -hmm. super bubbly and loud. It depends on what, I guess, social group you're in as well. So if you're thinking about family kind of stuff, I think women are expected to be more social and like get the family together and stuff like that. But if you're an introvert, especially if you're married into an extroverted family and you don't want to do that, then I think that can that can kind of be held against you and can be the cause of some tension and frustration there. So yeah, it probably depends on uh, what kind of environment you're in or, or what the expectations are of the culture or your family or the people around you too. Sometimes I feel like I want to do more social things at my house, but because my energy for that type of engagement goes up and down, mm-hmm. I, I hate to commit because I'm like, yeah, I think I want to do that today. But once we actually <laughs> get there, what will the week have been like? Will I actually do it? And the expectation is that I'm going to lead our social calendar. So I hadn't even yeah. noticed that. And you said your friend said, oh, after you thought you were doing such a good job of passing as an extrovert, I barely even noticed you were there. Yeah, (laughs) I know. That is a common one. That's that's crazy because I feel like now as an adult, that doesn't happen to me as much. But every now and then someone will start telling me about a meeting they went to or a class they were in. And I'm like, I was right beside you. What are you talking about? So (laughs) they're not even saying I barely noticed you were there, but they're expressing that they truly forgot I was there. And I was there listening and nodding my head and being forgotten. (laughs) Right. I know because I think, Yeah, introverts think that a lot of times they're being respectful, like if they raise their hand or if they wait to be called on or they wait for that that perfect moment in a group setting to say something and other people assume you're just shy or you need to be encouraged to participate. So yeah, there's, there's so many misunderstandings that can happen. So what can we do to be better understood as an introvert when we're in the office setting, for example? I think one of the first things that we have to realize is who you are as a person. So if you understand yourself as an introvert and you understand what works for you and what doesn't work for you, then you're going to be so much more prepared and likely to be able to advocate for yourself, especially in a work setting. So 
That's my number one tip is to know yourself, know who you are, how you think, how your brain works. And then two, you're going to be able to educate others when you know that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to advocate for yourself. And a lot of us think, oh, you have to be really outgoing and talkative to do that. Advocating for yourself as an introvert is totally different. So you can advocate for yourself simply by educating others and say, actually, I participate through observation more. And then when I have something to say, I say it then. And even doing that makes it okay, takes away the stigma and shows that you're confident in who you are. And then three is to just know your strengths, know what works for you. A lot of introverts feel more comfortable writing things down than just um, saying something spontaneously. And that's perfectly okay. So if you have a group meeting or something like that, you know, send a follow-up email or come prepared to the meeting with something that you want to say, a comment you want to make. Try to make it toward the beginning of the meeting so that you're not waiting and feeling anxious, just waiting for that perfect moment or to be called on. So just knowing your strengths and what works for you versus what doesn't can help you so much in a work environment. In general, how do introverts work most effectively and productively? Mm-hmm. So an ideal introverted work environment is really simple. It's based on the idea that creativity really thrives with silence and independence and organization. So to do our best work, we need a few things. One, physical space to be on our own, preferably not a cubicle because this wouldn't provide quietness. Two, scheduled time to be uninterrupted as an introvert. This is a big one for me, and I really have to be protective of your time because your energy can be drained so easily and because we can be become so involved in something that we're thinking about that for someone to interrupt that time and ask, hey, what do you want for lunch? Then we have to completely shift our mind, think about something else. It can take us 20 minutes to get back into that space that we were in when we were focused. So uninterrupted time is super important. Um, Clear expectations is also another big one. And the option to provide feedback or participation through written form, because a lot of introverts feel more confident and comfortable expressing themselves that way. And then timelines for due dates or tasks. So these are just simple guidelines, which I think can really be helpful for any personality because it gives us the time and space to process not only other people's opinions, but also to consider our own thoughts. And unfortunately, in kind of a typical work environment, it's usually more skewed to favor extroverts and introverts, but I think this is a disservice disservice to both because to introverts, we aren't able to show our best work in extroverts because they can also benefit from that individual time to formulate their own thoughts and stay organized and on task. Right. I've been reading a lot lately about the myth of multitasking and how Mm -hmm. interruptions destroy productivity. But at the same time, it seems like it's become so standard and everyone seems to believe that multitasking is a thing. I can see Mm -hmm. expressing that you want to monotask being seen as like a a handicap somehow that you don't know how to multitask Mm -hmm. when I question whether or not anyone really does. You think you are, but have you measured your productivity? Like chances are it went down when you decided to allow that interruption to happen and not to guard your time. Right. Yeah. That's something I was thinking about recently is because there is is such a rise of that and we have so many expectations on us. I think, introverts are going to have a unique opportunity to stand out and people are going to start seeing that our way isn't so bad to take time for silence and to stay on a certain task and stay organized. I think that's really going to make us stand out in a positive way. Absolutely. And then when it comes to the deadlines, why is that especially crucial for the introvert? Mm -hmm. Well, I think 
many of us, and I found this especially true for introverts, do best when we know what's expected. And so if we have timelines and deadlines and we can plan out, we can prepare. I know that helps me a lot. And so if you don't have that and it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, just do whatever, like turn it in or it's like fuzzy on the date, then we feel very chaotic and not prepared and organized. And for introverts, we thrive on having that planning and prepared time because we, we can find ourselves in situations where spontaneity is needed. And that's, that's not our best. We, we're more spontaneous when we're prepared, not when we don't know what we're going to say. So those timelines and deadlines are really important to keep us prepared to help us be able to stay organized and on task, you know, for that project or presentation or whatever we're working on. Yeah, I can really, really see that being true for me because with podcasting, you are over yourself and I knew I needed to set some deadlines because I love to start a project, but Mm -hmm. finishing a project's not as exciting and I feel just completely discombobulated with no structure. And I don't know if that's all the introversion or also being just a person who thrives with structured time. And I get virtually nothing done when I am free to do things whenever I want. I I like a packed schedule and my husband loves unstructured time and he's an extrovert. So he Mm. doesn't understand it, but we've been together for like, 14 years now and he has just come to accept it that I do have a calendar. I'm not getting rid of it. And if I do, <laughs> then you'll just see me sitting around watching cartoons all the time. I will do literally nothing if it's mm-hmm. not structured. <laughs> so I hear people talking about, Oh, I'm just a couple of episodes ahead. And that's insane to me. I have my editorial calendar and I know that it's not optional. I have to stay structured or just the productivity is out the window. So that one makes a lot of sense to me. So if people are um, attempting to network, how would you recommend that an introvert successfully approach networking events when they venture Mm -hmm. out of the office and they want to connect with others? Yeah, so networking is really important, like you're saying, especially if you want to grow your connections, move up in a company, secure a higher position. And if you're an introvert like me, this is probably one of the last things you want to do. But with the process and a plan, I've found even networking can be a lot more enjoyable and less stressful with three simple strategies. So number one is to have a goal. Know what you want to walk away from this networking event with. Like, are you trying to make connections for a project, meet higher ups? get promoted, seek a specific position in a certain company, know what you want and what you're looking for and who you need to talk to so that you know what success looks like to you at the end of the event. And number two is to prepare beforehand what you're going to say. Once you know your goal, you'll have an even better understanding of what you need to say about who you are, what you do, as well as how to direct the conversation. So have in mind ways you can link what you do with what you really want to be talking about. And number three is to just be curious, ask questions and be interested in others. Really, for the most part, people love to talk about themselves and they're much more likely to remember the person who seems genuinely interested in them versus someone who seems to only want to talk about themselves or have their own agenda. So I think for for introverts and really for any personality type, but definitely for introverts, having a goal, preparing what you're going to say and just being curious and, and using that natural listening skills that you have as an introvert 
can be super helpful when you have to, to network at all. How do you coach people through the initial fear that crops up around approaching someone you haven't met before? Because that feels like it's a situation just full of uncertainty, which really freaks out an introvert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think what you're really getting to is the negative self-talk that we have so often in our own minds. And the way that I start to coach people through that is to help them understand just some basic um, explanations of what's going on in the brain, especially uh, the two main jobs of the brain. So the two main jobs of the brain are to keep you safe first and to conserve energy or stick with the familiar. So let's first talk about keeping you safe. And this is true from both physical harm and emotional and mental harm as well. So whenever you think about let's say going to a networking event or getting out of your comfort zone or doing something else, your brain is immediately going to go back into its memory and think, okay, when are other times that you've done this? How did that go? What happened? Did you get disappointed or embarrassed? And were you consistent or or did you get stuck and then not know where to go with the conversation? And, And if your brain can find instances of that, then you're immediately going to go into fear mode. And your brain's going to start thinking about all the what ifs and all the things that can go wrong and the negative self-talk that comes with that. And then you're going to start procrastinating, even for things that you really want, and you're not going to understand why. And the second part of that is that your brain wants to conserve energy and stick with the familiar. And your brain doesn't differentiate between things that are helpful or unhelpful or healthy or unhealthy. It just knows this is how we normally respond and process and, and respond to certain environments and situations. So understanding what's going on there and knowing that if you're starting to feel uncomfortable, then you're really pushing that boundary and that edge of your comfort zone. And that's actually a good thing. A lot of times we, we think that if we're feeling uncomfortable or feeling stuck or we're feeling stressed out, that this is a bad thing. But it's really just your body's way of, of telling you that you are pushing through and you're, you're becoming a better, more aligned, healthier version of yourself. So just understanding your initial resistances to doing something new, to to networking and, and pushing that comfort zone, it's going to feel uncomfortable, but that's actually a positive. So with a simple perspective shift, you can really do more than you ever thought you could. How do you make a distinction between what your body is telling you to say no to and something that is actually a positive and opportunity to grow? Because I know a lot of us operate from gut feelings and you rely on your body to give you signals about what is a safe situation and what isn't. How do you know the difference between, oh, I'm getting a vibe that I need to pay attention to and this Mm. is just me being afraid and nothing is about to happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good distinction to make because I really encourage my clients to go with their gut feelings and to trust themselves because we're really taught our whole lives to kind of shut that off. And kids are actually really good at this about trusting themselves. But then as adults, we, we only go into our logical brain and, and we don't um, connect with our body anymore. One of the ways that I tell people to kind of work through those things is to free flow journal and not to um, stop yourself or allow your what ifs or negative thoughts to get in the way, but just journal and go through it and then go back and, and read it from um, like a third party perspective, you can kind of get some distance that way. And you can see if there are themes or certain things that keep coming up for you that you're like, wow, I really, I want to do this, but I'm clearly like blocking myself because this keeps coming up in my writing. And that's why it's so important not to stop yourself and think, oh, well, that's not realistic or that sounds scary. So I don't want to do that. If you just write and you just allow yourself to go into your creative mind instead of into your fear mind where overwhelming negative self-talk comes in and you're in your creative mind, 
and that's where you want to get when you're just free-flowing journaling, then you're going to be able to see the themes and the things that keep coming up. And then you can kind of get that perspective on it and be able to see, okay, this is a fear, this is a block, and then this is something that just isn't really for me. But you have to make sure you're not coming at it from a fear state because then you're just going to you're going to misinterpret things that you actually could do and want to do just because you think that you can't or you're afraid of it. But giving yourself that space to journal and to not block yourself will allow you to get that space and distance and kind of a third party perspective to differentiate between the two. Right. I really like that you're giving us actual exercises and clear things that we can do. Because like when you mentioned in the beginning, people were giving you advice in your teenage years about how to cope with your introversion. They Mm -hmm. say vague things like, well, just get out your box and just, you know, don't be afraid, which you can't just flip a switch and change your true nature. And you can't Mm -hmm. just flip a switch and change a habit that you've had for years. So where else can we go to see more exercises or do you have any other tools for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm actually giving away a free training series. So if someone is resonating with this and they want to get a jump start on how to figure out their passion or have more self-belief and then learn those um, mindset strategies and those success techniques, then I would encourage them to sign up for that free training series, which gives the quick, easy to implement strategies for all three of those areas. And you can get that at thepathfinderforyou.com slash free. Perfect. And I'm going to include that link in the show notes too. At the top of the interview, you also mentioned that another area of expertise is positive psychology for you. What Mm -hmm. is positive psychology? Mm -hmm. So positive psychology really posits that we need to be focusing more on our strengths than trying to improve our weaknesses. So long, especially in the psychology field, we focused on mental disease and disorder and illnesses and things like that. So we were always kind of coming at it from the back end, like this is the problem, this is what we need to fix. But positive psychology, which is a fairly new field, came and said, okay, instead of trying to fix all these things that are wrong, and of course there are, you know, there is room to address mental disorders and things like that. But instead of focusing on kind of a sickness model, they focus on a strength-based model so that you look at what you're already naturally good at and you try to improve in those areas instead of putting all of your time and resources into trying to fix things that are wrong with you. And I think this has been um, crucial for introverts because like we've been talking about, we have so many signals and so much feedback that who we are isn't right and isn't good enough. And, and really in psychology, um, that has been a big bias. And I, as a counselor, I can say that it, it still is for a lot of people. So there's a lot more educating and advocating that we have to do. So for introverts, especially this move towards focusing on your strengths. And like we were talking about introverts naturally spend time by themselves and enjoy silence. And that's where creativity thrives. Research has even proven that for any personality type. So focusing on your strengths as introverts, like I said, we tend to listen more than we talk. We like to spend time alone. We like to you know, be by ourselves and have time to process. So positive psychology allows you to focus on those strengths instead of thinking about how you, what your weaknesses are, or how you think you need to change. So when does this come into play when you're coaching people? Is this something you tap into if somebody is feeling stuck and there are mindset issues around that? Or when is that the focus? Mm-hmm. I really, I mean, it's a whole approach. So at any point, whenever, you know, 
I can, I can see that somebody is stuck on the label to the things that they think they should do or the negative self-talk. I'll always bring in those strategies. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my previous clients, Michelle, had always dreamed of starting a business of her own. But for her and so many other introverts just like her, every time she thought about finally quitting her job, she was just confronted with a flood of thoughts. Like, I don't know enough to start my own business. What if I fail? It's too risky. I should just stay at my job, even though it's not what I want. But I helped her understand how those thoughts, or what we call negative self-talk, was really controlling her and how to stop it in its tracks. And by doing that, she could do what she always wanted to do. So after identifying this negative self-talk, we created a plan for how to change her negative mindset and really replace it with a success mindset. So I taught Michelle specific strategies on how to replace those negative thoughts and then made sure she developed self-belief in exactly who she was and what she was capable of. And after working together on defeating the negative self-talk, and cultivating a success mindset, Michelle began working as an at-home business manager, which is something she always wanted to do, but just didn't believe it was possible for her, and started earning an extra $1,500 a month, which is an extra $18,000 additional income each year that she wouldn't have earned without going through this process. And if you think about it, that's an extra $270,000 she'll earn during her working years, even if she doesn't improve any further. So for Michelle, it was that constant loop of fears and self-doubt that caused her to keep getting stuck and then not knowing how to move forward past that. And even for me personally, once I learned to manage my fears and anxieties and just see them as a normal instead of reasons why you just shouldn't move forward, I create the life I wanted in a matter of months. So for my, my clients, the first thing we have to do is consider, you know, what negative beliefs or what limiting labels are holding you back from what you really want. And then at that point, once we lift off of those and we see who they are and who they were supposed to be before all these labels were placed on them, then we can move into finding a passion with that clarity and purposeful direction. How do you catch your negative thought patterns? Because you mm-hmm. know your mind just is so rapid fire with thoughts. How do you identify what your limiting beliefs are? Mm-hmm. One of the methods that I teach my clients is the CALM. And that's just a CALM is an acronym. And C is for consider your thoughts as a visitor. So you kind of take this, separate approach. You don't own your thoughts and you don't say, oh, I had a thought that, you know, I can't do this. Well, okay, that's just a thought. That doesn't mean that that's true. So just consider it as a visitor. And A is for accept. Accept you had the thought. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to make it mean something about who you are and that you're failing or that you can't do this. Just accept that it's there. And then L is for learn. What do I need to learn from this? Okay, obviously I'm getting this feedback or this resistance that I don't think that I'm worth this or that I don't think I can do this. So what do I need to learn from this? Do I need to improve my skills? Do I need to um, read more books, spend more time in reflection or processing things? So just learn what you can from the thought. And the M is to move. And this is both physically and, in, and mentally. And getting our bodies moving has also been proven in research to help us start shifting and the wheels start turning in our mind as well. So moving on mentally and physically. Get up, go do something. And that process, the, the CALM acronym, can really give you the um, third-party perspective that you need from it instead of owning the thoughts. It allows you to be in control of your own brain and consider it, accept it, learn, and then move. I'm really intrigued by the concept of physical movement changing your mindset. Mm -hmm. And I've only heard a little bit about that, like maybe power posing or uh, Mm -hmm. changing the order that you do something in in the morning when you're attempting to break a pattern. What Mm -hmm. is the connection between physical activity and what's going on in your head? 
Mm-hmm. Well, obviously we have a brain body connection and a lot of times we spend so much time focusing on our brain and what's going on in our thoughts that we allow that to control us. And if we do that repeatedly, our body learns what our habits and our moves and our behaviors and our feelings normally are. So whenever we go to change something or we go to change a habit or change a thought, our body is already on an automatic system and an automatic process. Part of the way to start changing that is a big one is meditating. And that allows you to, to take more back control over your body and you are in the driver's seat instead of your body just running on autopilot. And the reason that meditation is so important is because it allows you to be back in control and your body is going to say, you know, no, I'm used to being angry right now. It's like, it's 7 a.m. Like this isn't our pattern and your body's going to want to get up and move and it's going to feel resistance to it. But when you allow yourself to sit there and you make yourself meditate and you visualize and you focus on what you want, what you want your life to look like, what you want your thoughts to look like, then your body starts saying, okay, so we're changing. Like I said earlier, the brain doesn't differentiate between something that's healthy or unhealthy or helpful or unhelpful. It just knows how you normally respond. So when you sit and you meditate and you focus on what you want and have that visualization, you actually start to change the chemicals in your brain and body as well. So that now your brain becomes a roadmap to the future instead of just the predictable past. And so you just, even that simple technique can start to really give you that momentum and that shift. And that's why the brain body is so important. And we have to be in control instead of allowing our body to control us through the automatic processes. I know that there are lots of different styles of meditation, but I've never heard of visualizing desired outcomes as a meditation. Mm -hmm. Can you give more details about how this is something you recommend for your clients? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have different um, ideas or perspectives on meditation. Some people think it sounds terrible. Other people think that it would be a good time to process and meditate. So there are some specific strategies that you can use. Journaling can be a great way to start. And if you're just, you sit down and you have no idea what to think about it, how to visualize what you want, you can always start by writing down what that looks like. And again, that means don't block yourself. Don't allow negative self-talk to come up. Write down what your ideal life looks like. If it's your career that you want to focus on, write down what that would look like. And most importantly, how you would feel because feelings are really what guide our thoughts and our behaviors. So make sure that you, when you write that, you're really getting into that feeling state and you can clearly see what that looks like. And then you can read over that if you're kind of struggling with meditating and you have all these other thoughts coming in. So reading over that and then meditating, but also meditation is a process. So when you first start out, just like anything, it takes practice. Your body's going to want to get up and move and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to think, oh, this isn't worth it. No, I don't know what this is going to do. But that's when you have to be in, in control yourself and decide, no, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to meditate on this so that you get to predict your future instead of just allowing your brain and body to take over and, and you just keep unconsciously repeating the same patterns. You have to break that and stop that. So visualizing and meditating on what your future looks like allows your brain to get to the point where it already thinks you're there, especially the feelings. You can get into the feeling state of that you're already there, that you've already experienced the career that you want because you know what that feels like. That means that your thoughts and behaviors are going to start falling in line with that as well. Is that something you would recommend when people are trying to look at what they want to accomplish in the upcoming year to focus more on how you want to feel instead of really specific 
outcomes when it comes to resolutions. People usually focus on the outcome. Uh, It's not Mm -hmm. a measurable goal and there aren't any steps involved. And it's really easy to fall by the wayside, like before you even get to the middle of January. Would focusing Mm -hmm. on your feelings be more helpful? Yeah, I think that there's definitely room for both. So most of us, most of us might have heard of setting smart goals, so specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-based. I think that there's definitely something to that, and I do teach that as well because you want to know that you have specific steps to reaching goals, and they need to be measurable so that you know what that looks like and when you can say yes, I've achieved this goal. However, you also need to get into the feeling state of that goal because if we don't have a connection with it, it's going to be hard to find the motivation to move forward. It's going to be hard if we don't have a why right in front of us, then it's really easy to get distracted with other things. And so part of setting goals, yes, they need to be measurable, but also I suggest writing, you know, a few sentences, whatever, whatever it takes, not, not too much, maybe around 250 words or so of the why, the purpose that this goal the reason that you feel so emotionally connected to it and the reason it's so important to you. So you have both the measurable aspect of the goal, but then also the feeling of it because that's what's going to motivate you, push you forward and start to make those changes in your brain as well. Those are some really, really good pointers. When it comes to setting yourself up for success in the workplace, like you mentioned, you've worked with people who it sounds like that person was the biggest obstacle to success, just her negative Mm -hmm. self-talk and her fear. So she must have already had the skills that she needed and the tools that she needed to make changes to her income and what type of work she was doing. For people who feel stuck at work, what is usually going on? Mm -hmm. So the difference between staying stuck and getting unstuck has to do with our perspective. And feeling stuck doesn't have to be this terrible experience, although it often feels like that at the time. But it's really just your body's way of telling you that something isn't right, that it's time for a change and your current situation has run its course. So feeling stuck can can actually be a great thing. It can be a catalyst into a new, better, more aligned situation, or it can be the point at which you settle into discontentment for the rest of your life. And the difference there is how much you judge it. And that's why it's so important to use the call method as well and not to own your thoughts, but to just kind of consider them and see what's helpful and unhelpful. Because if you feel stuck, that means that you're in your fear brain and you're probably, you're focusing on things that are going wrong. You're probably even feeling bad about feeling stuck at all. So if you can shut that off, as I said before, like learning about the two main jobs of the brain and what's actually going on, then you can allow yourself to move into your creative mind where you can start to see opportunities and options that you didn't even realize were there before. So just having a perspective and a mindset shift on what feeling stuck is, that it's not that you're doing something wrong or that you're wrong. It just means that it's your body's way of telling you that something isn't right. So recognizing that our feelings, our emotions are often just a feedback, a feedback mechanism. So what's going on in our heads and hearts gives us so much more peace and understanding and how to start making changes into your life. And you don't have to have everything figured out. You know, that can be another reason that we stay in our fear brain and we feel overwhelmed. You just have to start. And it starts by accepting that it's okay to feel this way. And then just get into your creative mind. Again, do some free-flowing journaling to see what comes to mind, see what's what's going on inside of you and get that out on paper. 
and then decide just what your first next step will be. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to see the finish line. You don't have to know how everything's going to come together because you don't have the skills yet. You don't have the opportunities yet. But if you start the journey, they'll come up along the way, but you just have to be willing to start. And I know everyone has worked with a person like this, and maybe at some point, uh, a lot of us have been this person. What is going on when you keep changing positions? So you feel something's not right, you feel stuck, you're not happy, and you change positions initially, you go through a honeymoon period, and then Mm -hmm. again, that same feeling creeps up. How Mm -hmm. can people identify whether or not it's really the situation or the position versus it's time to do some work on yourself because you take yourself with you everywhere you go. Sometimes it isn't the environment. How do you know the difference? I think it goes back to a lot of times when we were growing up, especially if you're an introvert, you probably didn't know that you were one. And so you received lots of feedback and advice that didn't fit. And throughout that time period, you receive lots of labels and misconceptions around who you are, who you should be, that when we go to pick a career, again, we're not basing it on who we are or our strengths, but on this misunderstanding and the extroverted ideal that we've been told to live up to our whole lives. So my guess is if somebody is having a struggle and then they change jobs and they think that's it, they're still looking for an external way to make them happy. And they really haven't done the time and work and processing and just sitting in silence meditating, the visualization, the journaling to uncover what that looks like for them. So that's why when I start working with someone, the first thing we do is um, I teach them about who they are, especially as an introvert. That's super important because we're so misunderstood and misguided and help them strip away all the labels and misconceptions around who they are so they can get to the core of who they were before they were told who to be. And that's a really important part is getting connected to who you are not what you think you should do, not any external situation that you think is going to make you happy. Who are you? And then that uh, passion is going to come out of that. In some cases, do people find once they've done that work that they actually can be happy where they are and they don't need to make any changes? Or is that uncommon? Typically, they usually have if they're in a situation and they're coming to me, they're probably unhappy for one reason or another. And it's probably because when they made a decision to um, enter their career or to have this job or be in this company, it's because it was based on some other suggestion or a label that they had on them. Oh, this is what you should do. So a lot of times if I'm working with somebody, they will come to the conclusion that this probably wasn't the job for them, but they picked it because of family expectations or the labels of who they thought they were, what they were capable of. But if you remove all of that, a lot of times people find, oh, I I actually want to do something more and I'm, and I'm far more capable than I realized. So that's when the opportunities and the options start to open up and then they can make decisions out of that place of confidence and passion instead of out of insecurity and uncertainty and just a misunderstanding of who they are. You also mentioned that most introverts and probably this has happened to more people than we can even conceive of, but you receive a lot of labels and feedback that doesn't necessarily fit or help you. Sometimes you receive confusing feedback that you don't know how to execute because people are asking you to essentially 
change your true nature, be someone else. And so you try to emulate the behavior you're being asked to emulate and you just, you can't nail it. And you start to be confused about how are you supposed to behave out in the world? And you might get a little, I guess, traumatized when it comes to all kinds of feedback. So when you go into the workplace, you really struggle with any kind of feedback and everything feels like a criticism because Mm. of how much inappropriate feedback you received in childhood. That said, how can we learn to receive feedback better without being reactive maybe and actually benefiting from the advice, assuming that it actually is something useful in the workplace (laughs) when you've come up? What do you do? Mm, Yes. And feedback can be so difficult because we do tend to take it on as if it's who we are. We tend to own whatever criticisms or suggestions are given to us. And then we start to go into our own negative self-talk to the point that we can assume that person meant something that they really didn't even say. So in these situations, it's really important to pay attention to the meaning that you're giving the situation or feedback. A lot of times, it's really not what happens to us that matters most, but what we make it mean about who we are. So whenever you receive feedback, it's really important to separate who you are from the advice. And you can take what you can learn from the situation, but don't apply that to who you are. And this is especially true if you're an introvert and you're receiving feedback, because honestly, the feedback you get could be completely counterintuitive to who you are. For example, if you're told to speak up more, participate more, be more social, this has to do more with what that person's idea is on what makes a successful employee or person. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. So I always suggest taking into consideration the type of person who's giving you the feedback and where they're coming from. Because if they don't understand your personality, they could be totally misinterpreting your quietness when in reality, you're just being who you are and taking in everything that's being said and processing the situation. So the two big tips here are don't take advice personally, just focus on what you can learn from it and consider who's giving you the advice and where they're coming from. That's really helpful. I know we didn't really touch on any tips for extroverts, but like you said, a lot of this is applicable Mm -hmm. to everyone. And since it seems that everything is kind of already biased in favor of extroverts, I think they'll be fine without us giving them anything special today. (laughs) I think they'll, they'll get by. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can we find you online? I know you mentioned that resource earlier in the show, but where Mm -hmm. are you on social media? Yes, I'm basically everywhere on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. My website is thepathfinderforyou.com, and that's where you can find more resources and articles, especially how-to articles. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking out the time to come on. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Chelsea is really a pleasure to talk to. She just has a lot of valuable information to share. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others every time you hear something useful, and that should be every episode. All right, everyone, stay well. I'll see you next time.